for some word today? Yes. Amen. If you have a Bible uh, with you or a Bible app, uh, find two openings, 1 Corinthians 15 and Philippians chapter 2. Today, I want to begin a begin the second part of a new series that I began last week. I've entitled this message, Right Living in a Wrong World. If you were with us for the previous series uh, called A Whole New World, then you'll know that I use the, world, the word world a lot in my titles. Okay. You guys are not helping me right now. Help. Let's make this enjoyable. <laughs> this is the other side of the coin to that message. There is the in Christ uh, truth and revelation that I've said to you before, I think is first and foremost. And then there is the walking out of that truth, the living out of that. And that's what this series is about when I talk about right living. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 reads, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Notice those two components and the order in which they're listed. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. It's important that we recognize both sides. Also, that we see the order in which they were listed. It's our message to everyone in the world is not, stop sinning. Stop doing wrong things. No, the message first is Jesus. By the Savior of our, of our lives, He redeems us from sin. So the first step is awake to righteousness. Even if you're a believer, you need to know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. But then the follow-up message has to do with what does that look like practically, day-to-day, how do I live? And that's the message, do not sin. This is still a biblical New Testament message. It is a scriptural thing to say to people, to say to Christians, stop sinning. It doesn't have to be said with any kind of guilt or condemnation or anger at the person doing wrong. I don't think any of us should be, you know, really angry or, or judgmental of others who are sinning unless you've never sinned. <laughs> right? All of us can relate to this. Uh, but when we say certain things are wrong, it shouldn't be taken as as really criticism of the person, it should be taken as thank you for helping me to see what's hurting me, yeah? And and then Philippians chapter 2, I want to draw your attention to these verses once again as well. Philippians 2 and verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I want to remind you, the direction of the salvation is outward, because we're saved inward, but then we work it out, something we already possess. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Everybody say it out loud. God God is working in me me to want to do do and to do do his good pleasure. Yeah, so, so that's, a, that's a constant activity of the Spirit of God inside of the believing one. Inside of the believers, He's working in us. Now, uh, it doesn't just matter that we are forgiven, but also how we live after we get saved. That is still 
of importance for the believer, okay? If God works in us to do what pleases him, okay? In other words, our doing, our doing, then it certainly is on his mind. In other words, if someone say, well, it doesn't matter what we do is because Jesus did it for us. Our faith is in his doing. Uh, and it doesn't matter what we do, then why is it on, on the Lord's mind? Why is he working in us so that our, our behavior would align with his ways? He does think about. It is on his mind what we do. Uh, we can say it this way. It's not only that salvation is important to him, but the fruit of salvation is also something that he wants to be made manifest in our lives. Sometimes uh, people have said, well, God is pleased with us at all times in every situation. Uh, this, that language, that message often comes from uh, when Jesus was baptized and the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it gets translated from that, well, now we are his beloved children and so he's pleased with us. Okay, I agree with that. I think that's a true message. That's the starting point for all of our ability to relate to the Father is He loves us. He accepts us. He's pleased with us in Christ. All right? However, that does not negate the fact that sometimes we do things that are not pleasing to Him. Everybody with me? To say that I'm pleased because of Jesus is true. He's pleased that we are that we're his, that we're born into his family. We're accepted in the beloved, right? He's pleased with that fact. That doesn't assure him that he's smiling on everything his kids do. That's right. Parents, <laughs> you know how this works because it's the same. You love your children. You're pleased that they are, that they exist, that they're yours, they're in your family. You can look at them and be thankful and you, you take pleasure in their existence, right? Are you always pleased with how they act? Do they sometimes turn your smile into a frown? Yeah, not because you want them out of the family and you don't love them anymore. It's just what you're doing right now is displeasing to me, yeah? And so that is the other aspect of our relationship with God. It doesn't, it does exist, okay? Some would say, well, the Lord doesn't even see our sin because of the blood of Jesus. Well, hold on now. Then why is he working in us on our will and our doing? Why is he working in us to do what pleases him? Because, yes, we are, he is pleased with us in Christ, we're saved and right before him. He also takes pleasure in what we do when we do his will, right? Or he is displeased with some things that we do. Okay. Everybody okay? Yes. So things at times, things, what do we mean things? I'm using the word things because that's scripture uses it. Actions, what we do. God takes pleasure in activities that are righteous, he sometimes watches what you do and smiles. Sometimes watches what maybe someone else does and goes, oh, no. And what does he do? He doesn't kick you out of the family. He works in you. He works in you. 
to will and to do. He wants you to, to live in, a, in, a, in accordance with your new nature in, in, in Christ. Amen. In John 8, verse 29, uh, Jesus said, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now hold on, Jesus. Don't you know the Father is just pleased with you because you're his son? That's what he said at the baptism. But he didn't take that as, a, as an escape to no longer do activities that please the Father. He made it his effort, his goal, to always do what pleases. So his actions were pleasing to the Father, not only his existence. People will say sometimes, well, we're human beings, not human doings. <laughs> and really, they try to say that as, as if it's a contrast with uh, salvation by grace. And as soon as we emphasize what people do, then we left the, we've left the grace of God and we've, we're now embracing, uh, you know, performance-based salvation. And that is just not true. That's not, that's not the case. I'm saying uh, the Lord is interested in both sides of this. He does find certain activities pleasing to Him. Everybody with me? We should always seek to do things that are pleasing. When, when our kids were, were little, they used to watch uh, these videos about, the, about vegetables. <laughs> Some of you know? Yeah. All right, the Veggie Tales. One of the, one of the shows, it was about the pirates who didn't do anything. <laughs> and they had songs about, we are the pirates who don't do anything. We just stay home and lay around. And if you ask us, to do anything, we'll just tell you we don't do anything. Right. I don't think that's a really good picture of what a, of what a Christ, the Christian life should be. Well, I'm just saved by grace, and I just love the Lord. And what do you do? Well, I don't do anything. Jesus did it all. Well, He didn't create us to do nothing. The the, the vast work and, and expansive. Uh, you know, description of salvation was not designed to produce non-doers. It was designed to produce godly activities, to work through us. Amen. Amen. Like I said, God is interested in, in fruit, not just salvation, but the fruit of salvation. That was the end goal, what he wanted to accomplish in our lives. In John 15, 14, Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. If you do what? If whatever I command you, if you do whatever, not just if you believe, but if you do what I command you, then we're going to hang out. We're going to spend some time together. Hallelujah. Okay, let's find another place. Uh, Book of Hebrews and chapter 1. Hebrews, the first chapter. Uh, Have you ever heard of a love-hate relationship? You should have that. You should have a love-hate relationship with something in particular. And this is, what, uh, this is what we read about here in Hebrews chapter 1. It's speaking of Jesus, verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. 
Okay? So, so th this is the mentality. This is the way that Jesus thought, the way that he lived. And he had these two components working in him. Now, understand this. Jesus was the happiest person on earth. No one was happier than Jesus. No, if you've ever seen movies or things retold or remade or pictures of Jesus, and he's always super serious, somber, kind of a little bit agitated all the time. Not accurate. Not accurate. I think if we could go back and be around him, we would find often him laughing, him smiling, him enjoying life with his disciples and others. He was very, very joyful. Now, I realize there were times uh, he had emotions and, and he, times when he was angry at the hypocrisy that, uh, that the religious people had. Sometimes, uh, remember, he wept over Jerusalem. So I don't mean he was smiling 100% of the time, laughing 100 But I, I would probably say maybe it was 90. Again, I'm just throwing that number out there. 90%. See, if we're grumpy most of the time, and you call it righteous grump, you know, oh, I'm just carrying a burden. I'm just I just have a burden, and you're a little bit sad most of the time. I don't know if you're doing this right. Okay? Yeah, there'll be times we're grieved over sin and wrongdoing, and if people are diseased and poverty-stricken and in bondage, I don't laugh in the, in the sense of a please. I'm not pleased with any of that. But you deal with things and you get back to joy. Well, what was his recipe? You see it written right here in this passage. Okay. And but th again, think about Jesus. He was lied about. He was persecuted. He, he was attacked, yet happy. So that tells me, because these things happen to us, right? There's some rough people we have to deal with. Yet Jesus remained this way. How did he do it? And you see it right here. It's what he loved and what he hated. He loved righteousness. What, what does that mean? He loved what's right. He loved what was of the Father. If it was right, he embraced it. He loved it, and he hated lawlessness, or some translations say iniquity. You could just say sin. He loved what was right. He hated what was wrong, and this produced in him an activity of his Father pouring out oil on him. What kind of oil? Happy oil. <laughs> Joy oil. He was anointed with the oil of gladness. How much? How much? Above everybody else. That's where we get that he was the happiest. Uh, more than anyone else had gladness working in them. Jesus had it. And what produced it was he loved what he should love and he hated what he should hate. Yeah. I wonder if we can get this to work for us. You need a little bit more happiness in your life? Would anybody be up for that? A little joy juice? You know, a little happy oil? Would you like to wake up in the morning and you're already happy? Like to go to bed at night and you're, you go to bed with a smile? I'm happy. Well, here's the recipe. Here's the prescription. Jesus did this. And we're supposed to walk like him. Didn't first John record that verse? Those who belong to him ought to walk like he walked. Yeah. You say you're his. Well, this is where we find it. Hating and loving the right things. Proverbs 8.13 reads, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Say, does God hate stuff? Yep, sure does. Amos 5.15 reads, hate evil, love good. Yeah. So here's kind of how this works. If I'm going to have a good relationship with God, a day-to-day practical, we get along, we have fun together, it's a real relationship, and we know that's what this is supposed to be, then we kind of have to be on the same page about serious issues. All right? I mean, he can like vanilla, I can like chocolate. That's not an issue. That's so inconsequential. Okay? On serious issues, on matters of eternity, on matters of right and wrong, we have to be on the same page. Otherwise, how do we get along? You know, if you say, I I love you, but I hate your wife. (laughs) We are not going to be friends. I'll just tell you up front. So we don't have a problem with that because we love her. (laughs) It's just the, no. (laughs) Well, then you can't be friends with her. You know what I'm talking about? In other words, if we're going to be close to the Lord, we have to love what he loves and hate what he hates. I think probably it would help us, and we could all probably work on this, it would help us to not use the extreme terms, the heavy-weighted eternal terms of love and hate, except when they're warranted. And our problem is that we attach love and hate to a lot of insignificant things. And, and, and I, you know, I, I catch myself doing it while I teach it, <laughs> while I teach not to do it. <laughs> so, hold on. <laughs> Here's what I mean. You know, it might be a food that we hate or an activity or certain weather or different things. I hate that. Or on the opposite side, there's certain you know, food or an activity or a place or a thing. And I I love that. Oh, I just so love that. Okay. Uh, Those are not the type of, of, of events or things in this world that are deserving of that severe language. If, what if we reserved those words for things that were truly deserving of them? And, And think about hate. I hate this. Really? Like Jesus hated unlawlessness? Like Jesus hated iniquity? Is that how much you hate salt? <laughs> or, you know, or too much salt on your food? It's like, oh, no, not like that. Well, Jesus wouldn't have used that word lightly because it's so strong, right? And so we use it towards evil. We use it towards wrongdoing, towards unrighteousness. And we use love towards God and towards people and, and towards things of eternity. And we can love the truth. And there's many things that we can legitimately attach the word love to. Here's the goal. I want to feel about things the way God does. I want to, I want to feel, and I say, I'm using that word, you know, intentionally. I want to feel about wrongdoing the way he does. In other words, I hate it. What about sin? Oh, I hate that. What about right ways? What about love? What about healing and God's truth, his eternal plan? What about Jesus? Oh, I sure love these things. I sure love the Lord. 
and it's not a, uh, it's not a, a flippant word that I throw around to everything. I, I love him. Amen. And I love righteousness. So why, why do this? Because we like the happy oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is going on with you people? Why are you so happy? What are you on? <laughs> oil. Oil, is that a new substance? Is that a new thing that people are doing? They're taking oil. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's new. It's always new. It never gets old. Say, well, where do you get it? You get it by having the attitude that Jesus had. Yeah. Happiness comes from this perspective, this commitment. Amen. It's like an essential oil. Yeah. Right? You must have this if you're going to make it. I mean, is that true? Yes. Do you need a little bit of heavenly happiness, the joy of the Lord to truly make it? Yes. What if you strip all that away 100%? None of us would survive. Christians often state that uh, we are to, love, uh, we are to uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. Ever heard that? All right, that's a good statement. Don't just hate the sin in somebody else, though. Hate it when it gets in, in your vicinity. Hate it if it gets in your heart. Hate sin if it becomes part of your life. This is how to, this is how to get victory over it. Not, I'm trying to stop this thing that I really love to do. No, start saying about it. Even if it's a struggle or a bondage to you, a temptation, say, I hate it. I despise it. I don't want anything to do with that. Oh, I hate it in me. It's not about judging someone else. It's about, it's about hating the very thing that God hates. Amen. When I think that way, and I love to do what's right. Man, I love to do God's will. Oh, I love to, uh, to, to forgive. I love to pray. I love to, to do what's right and do whatever he says. Woo, I love that. See, now you're thinking like him, and now his joy oil comes out. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Say, well, I love the Lord. I, I love to move my body and I move my feet and I open my mouth. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's fine. You can, you, you can love the worship and love, uh, and love his presence in that way. But Jesus said, he who loves me does what I said. They, they do what I say. That's how you measure it. That's how he measures it. Not how high our hands are lifted, not how loud we sing, and those are great expressions, but he measures our love towards him by what we do with what he says. Now, it's true that God loves, loved us, right, while we were still sinners. Remember Romans 5, okay? But now that we're not sinners, now that we're saved or moved from sinner camp to saint camp, uh, don't you think we ought to love him back? Would it be an appropriate response? We didn't love him first. He loved us first. But should we love him back? How do I love him back? I love him by valuing everything he says and making that priority and doing what he wants me to do. Uh, this is demonstrated by our actions. Okay, so do you love God? Do you love him more than sin? Or more than a... Say, well, I don't love sin at all. Well, uh, yes, do you love him more than that particular one that you do? So, uh, yes, I love him more. 
that's a good thing to exercise. Because, again, how, how does this work? Someone says, I want to lose weight, but I also want cake. <laughs> how many know whatever you want more is going to win? <laughs> I'm not saying skinny people can't eat cake, but you understand the principle. I really want to lose weight. Do you? How much? Do you want something else more than that? That's what will determine your outcome. I really want to live right. That's what we have to want more than others. I, want, I need to love God more. Praise God. Now turn over to 1 Timothy, if you would. Just a, a, a short left if you're still there in Hebrews. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And notice this language. Paul writing to Timothy. And he says in verse 8. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So think about what he's saying. You're going to exercise your body. He said it's going to benefit you. It's going to profit you. But not forever. It'll profit you little. What he's talking about is a little bit of time. He, it'll profit you while you're here. Once you're changed, you get a new glorified body. I don't know that your bench press down here is going to transfer over to heaven. <laughs> You'll have a glorified body and it'll be, it'll be awesome. No matter what it was here. Okay. But exercise, bodily exercise, that'll help you. He said, you'll benefit. You'll profit from that for a little while. But the contrast, the, here's the point. He's not teaching a an exercise class here. He's saying godliness is what you really want to focus on more than anything because that'll benefit you here and there. How does my godliness affect me in eternity? Okay, in the life to come. It, it, it manifests in rewards. I mean, oh, we're saved by his grace, but the level of reward we receive in heaven is directly tied to what we do right here. Yeah. So if I'll be godly and if I'll prioritize this and say, I am absolutely going to love what God loves and hate what he, he hates, I'm, I'm heaping up reward for myself in eternity. Yeah. But godliness will profit us here in this life. And I think this is one of the things sometimes we miss. We think, well, the Lord loves me. He loves me just as much as anyone else. Absolutely true. No matter what you do, he loves you. But some people do things that cause them difficulty. Some people do things that invite God's blessings in their life. Some, some people act in such a way that harms them while others are doing things that are profitable. Profitable. What do you mean? Like profit? You mean like money? Of course. You mean like better relationships? Absolutely. You mean like more opportunities? For sure. Yeah, it's godliness is profitable. I'll tell you this, just from a side note, godliness would be profitable even for a sinner. Even for, what I mean by that is, it's someone who's not yet saved, if they would do the right thing, they're going to benefit in this life. They're not going to benefit in eternity until they receive Jesus. They're going to benefit in this life. But what you have, the problem is you've got saved people who are not acting godly, and it's, they're shooting themselves in the foot all day long. They say, well, I go to church and I praise God. It's, sometimes it's not, a, it's not about what you um, are doing. It's, it's, about, it's not about 
that you're not doing some good things that you ought to do. It's about those other additives. Those other things that are being allowed to remain. You may love righteousness, but you still have a little bit too much fondness of lawlessness. How does godliness profit us? Think about the law, the, the uh, universal law of sowing and reaping. Giving and receiving. Well, if I'm going to be godly, then I'm, I'm sowing godliness. I'm planting godly, godliness. What am I going to reap? Godliness. If I'm sowing faithfulness, I'm going to reap it. If I'm sowing love and forgiveness, I'm going to reap it. If I'm sowing kindness and honesty, I'm going to reap it. And if those character traits are in me and in operation in my life, I am going to benefit greatly. Some will say, well, I, I struggle with a lot of things, but I still love God. I still have faith in God. Uh, great. The question is, do you have any, can you, you know, can, can you control yourself at the buffet? In other words, self-control. It's not just about, I have faith in God. Well, good, wonderful. You should have faith in God. But these godly attributes are going to help in this life. They're going to make the difference in whether we are profiting in this life. Amen, amen. So the opposite would be true. If godliness is profitable, ungodliness would be unprofitable. Titus 3.8 reads this way. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Okay, what would be profitable to us? If we maintain good works. Again, let's not freak out here. Oh, here we go, talking about good works. Exactly. Good works are natural for the believer. They're who, it's what we're created to produce. They don't save us. They come out of our salvation. Right? And so they come out of our salvation, and it is profitable. I don't want us to mix up the notion of, of, of praying our way out of trouble with acting our way into trouble. It's like I was illustrating a few weeks ago when there was that election in Boise, which I guess didn't go real well. But uh, there was that election in, in Boise, and, I, and I, was, I was making the statement, we can either vote or we can have prayer meetings later about what happened because we didn't vote. Remember? And uh, obviously one church can't control it completely. We need... <laughs> A lot more people to help in those matters. But the same thing is true in life. Do I want to act in such a way that invites harm, invites destruction, is unprofitable, and then I'm going to believe God to get out of it? Everybody pray for me so I don't reap what I sow. I'm going to live ungodly, but I, I still believe God, so everybody help me. Now, here's the thing. When you're in a family, when you make a mistake and you're honest before God and people, people will help you. And we do want to pray people out of, out of the results of their behaviors. But I'm, not say, I'm saying that's not a good recipe for, for life continually. 
keep blowing it up and go into fix-it mode. I'm going to hit my foot with a hammer and then get healed and then hit my foot with a hammer. Let it get all healed up and strong and hit my foot with a hammer. As dumb as that sounds, we do that sometimes, you guys. We do that in our own lives. And it's this, this absence of loving righteousness and hating sin. And, and we get fixed up and we're calling. The Lord forgives and he's merciful and kind to us. And then we do it again. You know, when the Lord taught us to, to forgive other people seven times, 70 times, 70 in one day, keep forgiving people if they do you wrong, that's for other people. <laughs> that doesn't mean that should be our approach to life. I can blow it as many times as I want and get forgiven. Well, maybe you can, but you're an idiot. <laughs> Why? Because that's going to hurt. I mean, how many times? Whack! 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 I got 490 times to do this. Whack! You might not want to prove that out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me finish with this. Uh, I, want to, I want to read Romans 8. It's a popular passage. But if you feel overwhelmed or if you ever feel like, man, I got these things I do and I keep falling into the same traps. I don't know if I can do this. I want to encourage you with this. You can do it. You can do this. You can live out the righteousness of God in you. You can live it out in a practical way. Romans 8 verse 1 reads, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is the starting point. Every believer can legitimately say, I am free from the law of of sin and death. It no longer dominates me. It has no right to make me do things. It's not in control. I'm in control. Okay? Fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 is self-control. I taught a whole message a little while ago called in control. And I was, I was teaching this point. It's not God who's in control. For the believer, it's no longer Satan who's in control. But he has left us in charge. Right? And we are no longer under the, the control of sin and death. It cannot dominate us anymore. Uh, we're not subject to it. But this phrase here, you know, walk according to the flesh, does not mean that if we, that if we sin, we're all of a sudden back under the law of sin and death. In other words, well, you're free from sin unless you sin. I mean, that, how, how are you going to deal with that? No, free from sin is our permanent and uh, positional reality in Christ. Walking in the flesh would be to not believe that. To see myself as an old sinner saved by grace. To see myself as a defeated, uh, incapable individual, weak in overcoming. But to see myself in Christ is in the spirit, now I'm an overcomer, uh, an overcomer. Now I always conquer everything in Christ. So when I say, hey, we got people, you know, got some funky actions and behaviors and it's costing, but it's time to change our vision and say, Lord, you're working in me to will and to do of your good pleasure. I believe that I am now in Christ, so I'm not condemned, but now I'm free to live victorious over this. Yeah. I am in 
Christ and therefore right with God, therefore victorious, therefore an overcomer. And I have the ability to live out who I really am in him. And that's right living in a very wrong and messed up, perverted world. This is your ability, you guys. This is my ability. Uh, We can never embrace the thought, I can't help myself. I just can't control myself. If you ever find yourself meditating that way, thinking that, or even saying it, I can't help it. I can't control myself. I, I I just don't know what to do. I keep doing. I would first and foremost interrupt that thought and interrupt those words. Immediately interrupt them with God's word. Immediately interrupt them with the name of Jesus and say, I can and I will. I have God's spirit in me. His life is in me. God is working in me. His grace gives me the ability to overcome. And I hate that stuff and I love to do what's right. Not, well, I really, I really, I really love these. I just, I probably ought to stop. You know, I probably, I just, I mean, I really love, or, or, uh, or we blame, blame things on how we're, we're raised in our family generations. And I guess I'm just always going to be this way. I'm like the old dog. No new tricks. And I've been this way. I just have to accept that I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to struggle with this particular area. I'm always going to act this way. That's, a, that's the devil's language, you guys. That's not what Je- the Lord Jesus says to you and me. He doesn't say you're always going to struggle with this. I've struggled with this for 50 years. (laughs) I guess I just have to learn to live with it. No, you don't. Absolutely not. This is a new day. Amen. And and things don't get old. Say, well, I've been a Christian a long time, and I'm still struggling with this particular thing. With the Lord, that long time is just like that anyway. And with the Lord, it doesn't matter that you've struggled with it for a long time. The moment the light turns on, faith is present, and you walk free. And it begins with with acknowledging and saying, yeah, this is true. I believe this more than my past or the longevity of my struggle. I believe this more. I love God more than the sin. I, I, I commit myself to his ways. And see, you can do this. You can walk free from this. Amen. There's lots of people around here who would help you. But most importantly, God will help you. He will work in you. He will aid you. If you look to him every day and say, Father, thank you, I'm free. Sin has no power over me. This vice, this, this grip that the enemy has in, in my life, it is, it is no longer able to hold me down. And you're saying it to the Lord and he's saying, that's my boy. That's my girl right there. And he's pleased. He's pleased with that faith. Yes, we can. Amen. Amen. Say it out loud. Say, I am, I am free, free from sin, from, sin, from wrongdoing, wrongdoing, and ungodliness. ungodliness. Whom, the sun sets free Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Free. And that's me. That's me. Free, in him. free in him. Amen. Father, thank you for working in us today.